How do you do? The Box Office Pulp Board feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We're about to unfold a cinematic commentary track, made by a group of men who sought to create a podcast after their own ravings, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with three great mysteries of the internet, analysis, observation, and deconstruction. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel you'd not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Now, to pause and refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand in the lobby, with buttered popcorn, golden good and hot from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich, so delicious Dr. Pepper, so bright and bracing, with a tang and tingle unmatched by any other beverage. Our dwarves have no Dr. Pepper at our beverage stand right now. And then return to fully appreciate to this bump and a tragedy. Like the kids said, go to hell. The following movie is rated R. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, moxie, and tonight, the whole wide world of video game movies. Well, not not the whole world. Really, just Doom, the movie. We're, we're, we're talking just about Doom. Anyways, I'm your host, Cody. Joining me today for this bop in a movie are my co-host, Mike. Say hello, Mike. I am the demons. And Jamie. Say hello, Jamie. You know, I sympathize with Sarge because I also somehow managed to miss with the BFG. I don't know how it happens. Gotta get good. Good night, everybody. Mm. That's the show. We don't actually watch Doom. Everyone's at home. You're already home. It's a quarantine. Ah. And then I was a zombie. (laughs) More so than normal. I just wanted to, I, I just, you know, the folks at home are expecting the goddamn creepypasta meme to be referenced. So there you go. Not not the Revenant Doot Doot thing? It's too obvious. Too new. Going like, old school. There's no such thing as too obvious for this podcast. Low-hanging fruit is our specialty. We're made of fruit. I, water, mostly, but whatever. Chomp, so chomp. Right We're delicious. <laughs> Put us in the saucepan with some water. Yeah. Make a jam. I'm going to use this as a clunky transition to our drink of the night. Folks, when you watch this commentary or listen to the episode as a not commentary... What are we life, watching, Cody? Doom. <laughs> the official drink for Doom. Is... I approve of this. I, this I, I, get, I get five cents each time for promoting the film. The Rock writes me a check once a year for like a nickel. Anyways, the goddamn official drink of Doom, the movie, on Bop, the podcast, is the Midori Sour. Folks at home, what you're going to need for this guy is one ounce of Midori melon liquor, one ounce of vodka. I personally am a Tito's guy, so that's what I got. A half ounce of lemon juice, a half ounce of lime juice, and some soda water. Instructions here, you're going to take all of those ingredients but the soda water, pour them into a Collins glass with ice. Stir that up, get a good mix, and then top the drink off with soda water to taste. Boom! What you end up with is a drink that looks suspiciously like green Gatorade. 
I'm still convinced it's just Gatorade. Pretty there sure you're just drinking Gatorade. You could you could see the little bubbles in there. This this was not like Brano or anything. It's 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 a Midori drink. I chose this drink not because it has a complex or subtle flavor profile. It's just a bright neon kind of green drink. And when I think Doom, I think bright green. Wow. Nothing I, deep. I, I don't I, think I, Doom the movie deserves a drink that's super fancy and has a long explanation behind it. Just something simple. Here's a nice, very sugary drink. See, I overthought it. I thought you were making gamer fuel. It but looks like gamer fuel. Also, Brewery by uh, my hometown actually makes their own version of gamer fuel. As a sour beer, it is fantastic. I love it. <laughs> I wish I had it because I'd be drinking that right now. Cody Alft, he's got a drink for every story. Ah, boy, howdy. So, folks, I'm going to encourage you to make that drink. You, you can do it now and pause us or just make the drink while we're talking. Again, I don't go into your house and tell you how to live your life or how to listen to my show. But on that note, I would recommend, well, first pause us, make the drink, then come back. Hello, welcome back. For this commentary, you can play us along with the comment, or with the movie, and it's like we're in your house and we're all hating Doom together. Or you can just listen to us as like a two-hour-long podcast. It's, again, ah, you got a lot going on in your life. Don't You don't have to have me telling you what to do. You just got lost there, didn't you? A little bit. I'm trying to come up with fresh ways to introduce the idea of a commentary, and it's there's only like three ways to do it. Well, I just I just want to uh, take a moment to remind everybody at home that we are, of course, as always, brought to you by Martian Buddy. Tired of being a loser with the ladies? Want a more exciting and fulfilling love life? Visit MartianBuddy.com and find out how. There really Promotion. does need to be a Bob catalog of just just novelty gimmicks, X-ray specs. I, I could go for a pair of X-ray specs. How have we never gotten MB to draw a X-ray specs ad with Kinnison? God, just his raisin testicles? No, thank you. I have I would, to commission that. I would love to see that. And, you know, we can be like the Sea Monkeys guy, except not a Grand Wizard at the Ku Klux Klan. You're, you're just full of fun facts, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really Sterling's excited to watch Doom. We've got to bring the hell Doom. somehow. It's not in the movie. Do oh. Why? <laughs> We're talking ourselves out of doing this commentary as can we, we just do can we? I'm just going to count to three. Mike. Count us down. Count us down and start the movie. Also, it should be stated that we are watching the unrated edition, which is around 153 minutes uh, long. I think it's the only version you can really find anymore. Uh, Probably. uh, um, Digitally, you can rent both. So, you know, just make sure you get the uh, correct version if you're watching along with us at home or in your car on a train. No, wait, you can't go outside. Wear a mask. Get off that train. What are you doing? Yeah, crazy. You didn't even buy a goddamn ticket. Oh my god, is that a bomb? And it turns out we're Jake Gyllenhaal, and we're reliving this over and over again. Oh, I was hoping we were speed. Like the bus? Yeah, the podcast is is already going under 55 miles per hour, so we're all dead. (laughs) Are we Detective Speed? (laughs) Detective Speed. (laughs) No, I looked more when we were the actual bus. Not not Keanu Reeves, we were the bus. All right, we are queued up right before... um, you see stars and there's opening narration um, by an actress who has no business being in this movie because she's way better than it. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to count to three, then we'll press play after I say three. We ready? Yeah. One. Two. Three. Doom. The movie. All right, let's get those movie facts rolling. Doom Doom. Facts. The movie. Doom facts. Id facts. Was dr- <laughs> directed by Andre uh, Bartkowiak. 
Hey, actually, I did it. It's a Polish name, folks. It, it's it's scary to pronounce. Uh, he's primarily known as a cinematographer, but you you know his movie titles. He did Romeo Must Die, Exit Wounds, Crail to the Grave, even Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. So no strange uh-huh. video game movies. Our screenplay is by David Callahan and Wesley Strick. Uh, Callahan's on kind of a roll right now. That dude has been hired to write the Spider-Verse sequel, uh, Wonder Woman 1984, Zombieland Double Tap. He was behind, like, the first three Expendable movies. I was saying she as well. Yeah. All over. Uh, let's see, Strick, uh, he did stuff. Arachnophobia, Batman Returns, Wolf the Saint, Cape Fear remake, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. And High Castle. Strick's done everything. He's, but he was also a polisher. Yeah, yeah, tons and tons of credits for that. Uh, fun fact: apparently, they tried to get Strick onto the script after Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright turned down the offer. <laughs> they yes. wanted them to do Did a dialogue polish, and they're like, mm, no. Uh, our cast, as mentioned before. Way too amazingly good for the film you are going to watch. We've got Carl Urban as John Reaper Grimm. You know, Bones, Dread, Lord of the Rings, The Boys, Riddick, Priest, Red, Born Supremacy, Ghost Ship. You, you can't swing a bat without hitting one of his great roles. Priest is a movie we got to watch sometime, just for fun. Uh, it's a bop and a trash. That is, that yeah. is like, how is that not taking place? How is that not made in like 1997? It looks like it was <laughs> almost purposely. It's amazing. I'm still convinced Priest was made by the nephew of a producer. Like, that is a 15-year-old's brain as a movie. It is incredible. <laughs> I kind of love it. Okay, I just want to say, I really love the fact this door just chops this woman's hand off. <laughs> I love incredible. this opening scene. Oh, this opening no, scene is great, yeah. The door is closed before the person gets there. This time, it's like, no, we're going to give you the actual severed hand. That's fun. That's a nice little touch. Also, bullshit, they should have gotten Carmack to actually play this character. <laughs> Just Carmack, just dead-eyed, saying all this dialogue. <laughs> Looking waxen. Uh, oh, I'm still going through my cast. We barely started. Dwayne The Rock Johnson as Asher Sarge Mahonan. Look, we, again, we know The Rock. This was in his early stages, but... He had hair. Man, yeah, well, we've got him uh, in Rampage and two Jumanji movies. He's He's kind of, if you think about it, our de facto video game movie king. Like, if you want a video game movie to make money, you get The Rock. Not this one, but all the other ones. Uh, they originally offered the role of the hero to The Rock, and uh, he didn't want to play John Grimm because he thought Sarge was a more interesting, complex character, and he liked the darkness in him. And he really wanted to hold the BFG. Also that. He, I think he has one of the prop replicas. He, no, There's he only like both. two, and he has one. Oh, he, he stole them. <laughs> yes. Well, who's going to tell him no? Uh, Look how small the, the rock is. Days, <laughs> Look at Rundown were... Rock. <laughs> uh, when they were originally planning on making this movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger was one of the people they offered the role to, but it didn't come together. Uh, they also went after Vin Diesel at one point, but uh, apparently Diesel turned the part down. To be in The Pacifier, which is hilarious. Yeah, what a what a weird career choice. I guess it panned out overall. Uh, we have Rosamund Pike as Dr. Samantha Grimm. Which, goddammit, why is this cast so good? She turned like, down I mean, Harry Potter for us. Oh, man. That's, yeah, well, that was partially a schedule, scheduling thing. She had another role that didn't line up either, so by taking this, she could do that third role. It, it, yeah, it all came together. 
But still, I mean, Gone Girl, The World's End, Jack Reacher, even stuff like Wrath of the Titans or Die Another Day, she is a great actress, and then she gets saddled with not a great role. Not, what was not her name in Die Another Day? Something Frost? I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've seen Die Another Day, to be honest. I'm saving so, my James Bond marathon for when the uh, next one actually hits theaters. Ooh, I didn't age well. Ooh. Uh, well, as long as we're looking at the Marines, I guess we should run through all of them because, holy shit, we got a lot of folks. Uh, Dubois Oparai has worked Destroyer Ganon. I'm assuming Ganon has to be a throwback to Zelda because they have to get in video game references somewhere. Uh, ben Daniels as Eric Goat Phantom. Raz Doty as Gregory Duke Schofield. Everyone in this movie has a nickname. I love Duke's bargain bin LL Cool J performance in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the more entertaining things in it. That's a he really good a way parrot. to put that. He does. Uh, Richard Brake as Dean Portman. Uh, Brake is one of those guys you will instantly recognize, but not necessarily know from where. He's uh, what is probably his biggest role. I think we'd all agree is Joel, Joe Chill in uh, Batman Begins. No, same here. Or the not, guy you get when you can't get Steve Buscemi. <laughs> uh, he's also apparently good friends, I would say, with Rob Zombie because he's been in Halloween 2, 31, uh, and 3 from Hell. Apparently he's going to be Mandy. Next... Yeah. Yeah, the uh, tiger. Yeah, you stole that from me, Mike. He's on my list. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, just, I get excited for break. I'm sorry. That's fair. It's fair. Just got to simmer down. Uh, he's going to be in the next Tremors movie, so everyone get excited for that. <laughs> Tremors on an island. Oh, thank uh, God. He was in Peaky Blinders. He was the Night King in the 2014 and 2015 seasons of Game of Thrones. I always forget uh, that. Yeah, well, it's I a lot know. of makeup. Uh, and uh, stuff like Hannibal Rising, and this one really surprised me. He was in Thor, The Dark World. Really? Ooh, yeah. Uh, I'm assuming a dark elf. What a waste. <laughs> As yeah. we often say when we watch Thor the Dark World. <laughs> uh, Al Weaver is Mark the Kid. Dantalian. Uh, and then, these were really exciting to me when I was watching the special features and saw these guys pop up. Brian Steele as uh, basically all the Hell Knights in the movie. Uh, Steele, you recognize, he's he's always monster makeup guys, but like the big, beefy, strong ones. He's Samuel and Hellboy. Uh, he's a bunch of the Predators in Predators. Uh, the Tyrant in the Resident Evil films. And he's most recently played the robot in Netflix's Lost in Space series, which I didn't realize they had an actor in that robot suit. So that's really Neither cool. Did I that. Yeah, isn't that neat? Uh, and the other one that I was so excited to see in the special features, Doug Jones is uh, the imps in the film. They're they're Doug Jones. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Folks at home, you know Doug Jones. Uh, basically, if Del Toro, Guillermo Del Toro, has done a movie with a monster, there's Doug Jones. Just or pretty much any movie with a tall, skinny monster that's doing a lot of hand acting. That's our boy. He is just the best, and I always love seeing a Doug Jones performance. He's an Oscar-winning monster. Yes, I remember oh, for years. Cool. For years, we used to have a game where we'd watch a '90s movie together, and when we got to the credits, we'd try to find either Frank Welker or Doug Jones. <laughs> Almost always, we did. It's a great game. I recommend anyone play it. <laughs> So that's our cast. I think we'll all agree. That is an amazing cast for this movie. Fantastic. Everyone does a fine job. Um, moving past the cast, though, the excellence continues. The music here is by Clint Mansell. 
this this fucking blows my mind. He is Darren Aronofsky's go-to composer. But you've heard his music in Moon, Stoker, High Rise, Ghost in the Shell, the, the American Scarlett Johansson version, uh, and Smoking Aces. But to me, if he only did this score, it'd be enough for me to think he's just the greatest of all time. He did The Fountain. And boy, is that just an astounding work. Uh, Death is the Road to Awe has to be probably my favorite piece of film music ever made. So he's here doing kind of a fun rock and roll background noise thing. <laughs> it's not as prominent as I would wish. The the Doom set the soundtrack, while not being bad, has always fascinated me and how not particularly Doom it is. Like even when you get to like their riff on the main theme, it still just feels like a weird copyright free version of the Doom. It, it feels like a version of Doom that's playing in like a fictional movie, so it has to be a copyright free version of Doom. Like yeah. someone's playing on yeah. their screen. It's very strange. Just, even like I mean, they're adapting mostly Doom Three, and that's the aesthetic they're going for. But even that had a their score was nothing like this. Even that had like a hard fucking metal score for the main theme and whatnot. I'm always really curious when they do video game movies why they don't just lift the score from the video game. Like, I'm sure it's a rights deal and they don't want to pay the money, but you got to pay a composer anyways. Why not just uh, pay for the rights, slap that music in, and then make the adjustments needed for it to fit the various moments of the film? Ego thing for producers? Yeah. We're making the real version. Anyways, this it's it's even worse, though, because we're we're a couple months out from the release of Doom Eternal. And Mick Gordon's score on that is just a fucking banger, end to end. So it's it's very sad when you go from really a, a, just an overly exciting, great driving movie or video game score to Clint Mansell's so-so rock score. It is generic. Ah, oh, Mike Zuckerberg. All right, our cinematography is by Tony Pierce Roberts. Uh, Pierce Roberts has been the DP game since the early 70s, and he's given us all sorts of different projects. Uh, the Dark Half, Jungle to Jungle, Underworld, A Room with a View. He, he's kind of hit all sorts of areas in genre. I feel like that, that is the entire spectrum of Hollywood, from the Dark Half to Jungle to Jungle. It's, it's, I'm glad yeah, that was made right with the same eye. <laughs> Fire from the Statue of Liberty. Uh, our editing here is by Derek Brecken. Uh, Brecken passed away in 2009, but he had his hand in a lot of memorable flicks like The Patriot, 13 Ghosts, uh, Deep Blue Sea, Die Hard, Total Recall, The Bourne Ultimatum, and Iron Man. So it's it's a shame he uh, passed so so soon, considering it, that's a great track record. If I could ever tell someone like, oh, don't worry, I had a part in 13 Ghosts, I think I could <laughs> die happy. Not even saying that's a that's joke. That's the dream. That'd be pretty fun. Like, hey guys, check it out. I made a really fun movie. Anyways, Doom, the movie, released October the 21st, 2005. Budget was somewhere between 60 and 70 million bucks. Uh, the internet doesn't have an exact figure as far as I could tell. The worldwide box office was right around $58.8 million. Not great money. So, not surprisingly, no sequel. Although, in 2019, we did get a reboot on the property called Doom Annihilation which doesn't connect as far as I'm aware to this movie in any way. Like it just no. it's 
kind of the the video game, but so far no Doom movie's really done the video games proper. Uh, we'll get into Doom Annihilation at a later date. Very true. Speaking of, uh, we should probably tell the lovely folks at home why we're doing a commentary for Doom, of all things. Yes. Oh, is that my job? <laughs> you're the host, Cody. <laughs> fine, fine. Oh, you're, monster. You're, you're in charge of the facts. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so the sorry, weirdest fucking this. shit lore reference ever. I, yeah, I was very confused by this. I understand what pinkies are. I, I recently beat Doom Eternal, and I understand that pinkies are the charging demons that are pink in color. Why is the wheelchair man the pinky? No real reason. Okay, so Joke, it's not like a deep cut. It's not like in Doom 1, the pinkies were revealed to be like possessed marines or anything like that. It's just... They it just makes them adorable. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> like, like he's like a cat with a broken leg with a little wheel behind him. Well, in Doom 3, the pinkies had robot legs, so... That's about it. Uh, uh, that, that's it. That's, that's about as far as it goes. <laughs> Alright, fair enough. Right. So as I was saying before, Doom Eternal came out very recently, and I was very taken by the game. This is, Doom Eternal was the first Doom game I'd ever played through. Uh, and I loved it, and I was so surprised by what the game offered. There is a surprisingly deep lore to what I thought was just going to be a lot of demon shooting. So it reinvigorated my interest to go back and watch something like Doom. And just all the weird questions of how do you adapt a video game how do you make it successful? Why do so many video games feel like they really are cemented in the 2000s? Even new video game movies don't really feel like they're modern pieces of cinema. No one, I don't think anyone's cracked the formula for making a great video game movie. And I thought it'd be kind of fun for us to go through a series of video game films and just dig in to see what's happening. And don't worry, we will somehow find a way to end this mini-series on a high note. <laughs> I mean, there is, like we said, a ton of talent behind the camera and in front of the camera. There are pieces of Doom I think are really cool. I don't think they all come together into a movie I really want to watch more than, like, once every five years. But those individual pieces should be celebrated. Like, the practical monster design? That's really cool. Oh, yeah. uh, the the couple-minute-long first-person shooter segment at the end wow that is such a neat gimmick and i absolutely love gimmicks in film so i'm so happy it exists in this one there's neat stuff happening and it's cool too just from a historical perspective to go see baby rock playing a role in his jabroni era yeah i do remember when this movie came out and i was a kid i totally fell for the bait and switch the movie sets up where you see the rock and you assume that's the hero of the movie not the sad sack to his right oh same and then, you know, spoilers, uh, when The Rock dies, you're like, what the fuck? As a stupid child, I fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. As an adult, <laughs> you watch and you're like, oh, yeah, obviously, they're, they're not doing a great job setting this up. If you've ever seen a movie before, you understand The Rock is not the main character. <laughs> or the good guy. Those orders were received and understood, Cody. <laughs> for whatever reason, that line was like the entire focus point of the marketing, so it's like burned into my brain. Honestly, I do kind of enjoy the Predator vibe of it all. Or I guess more appropriately, the Expendables vibe. We just weren't aware of it yet. 
That's yeah. This was the embryonic stages of the Expendables. Yeah. Just imagine if they had moved this, made this movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. They could recast all the other Marines as famous action dudes. Like there's a Sylvester Stallone in there. Yeah. Could you imagine the Expendables, but it's a fucking Doom movie? Richard Brake, instead of being him, it's it's Bruce Willis. Could you imagine him in that role? <laughs> like the Willis that doesn't give a shit, so he does like all of his weird sexual assault lines in that like a flat, bored monotone. And Tom Cruise as the kid. Yes. So, Mike, I'm gonna I'm gonna treat you as our resident Doom expert. As a newcomer to Doom, it really seems like a series where it's you against the world, and yet the Doom movies, both of them, seem to enjoy the idea of, hey, what if we make this a team movie and make it about the Marines going in against hellish forces? I can I can see why you'd want to do that from a script writing perspective, because it's very boring to just have one guy against everything else. But we've also seen things like John Wick where that could be pretty effective, too, if he has a couple yeah. of side characters to bounce off against. Not that the Doomslayer has like a lot of personality he could use to bounce off of people. Other than being cool and not talking. Unless it's yeah. about how large a creature's guts are. If they're huge guts, he'll let you know. Rip and tear. Um I I mean I guess it's just shortcut, like, oh, it's easier to have multiple characters and do an ensemble and we can do an origin, like, this is our Doom guy character, and, you know, and just, instead of, instead of essentially doing Die Hard versus Demons, which is the way you want to do it. Like, that's the yeah. appropriate way to adapt Doom, is it's fucking Die Hard, but it's a horror movie. Well, with Doom Eternal, you get a couple of side characters the main guy could bounce against. You have Vega, just make him a hologram and have Vega for him to talk to. Uh... You could do it like the Time Traveler. And then you have Dr. Hayden, so you have some antagonism there, but also a person to talk against. Also a very cool visual if you just have a giant cyborg robot man. <laughs> or even that's Doom like 3, really... which is... They were going off the archetype... Uh, also, that's the id logo. Um, yep. the archetype that is important of... to mention, too. This was a year after Doom 3 hit, hit uh, game stands. So they obviously can't learn anything from Doom or Doom Eternal. It has to be Doom 3 that they're going to model And th this on. is Doom 3, the movie, to a degree. I mean, aesthetically mm -hmm. it is. Everything, like all the graphics are Doom 3, the sets are Doom 3, most of the monster Heavy designs are Doom 3. <laughs> they, they have flashlights, which is very not Doom 3. Um, <laughs> well, the lighting so is very Doom 3. Like, it, it, that's where, it, like, literally, that's just a shot from Doom 3, practically. <laughs> It feels like this movie's trying to be Doom, Doom 3, and Duke Nukem at the same time, for where it's pulling its aesthetics from. It's, it's very jarring at times. Callahan seems to wanted to... I remember a lot of interviews uh, with Callahan uh, leading up to the release, and just producers and stuff talking a lot about like Predator and Aliens and sh shit like that. They seem to want to go with that vibe for the multiple characters and that kind of like that. B movie feel. Case which... in point, Bill Duke here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like off brand Kmart Bill Duke. Dude, I mean, just listing things, Bullen's which is fun. Video about Predator by any chance? What? I love the point he made that uh, Patrick oh. Williams made a new video about Predator where it's 
the concept is, if you look at it, it really switches. It goes from a big macho action film to a slasher flick in the second half. Yeah. Which I feel like this film does the opposite, where it starts off more spooky, scary like a slasher film, and then turns into an action flick in the second half. It's really Resident Evil is what it is. It's very just Resident much. Evil movie. This is very this is very Resident Evil. And even Doom Three kind of followed that a little bit where it was a survival horror game up until the end, where it became more action y for the most part. And so I guess they're still kind of using that, but I, I don't really know, other than I, a lot of stuff Callahan did pitch. Well, I think like the team thing was in his original pitch. I don't know if Hell ever factored in. I do know in his original script, it was more nebulous. Like, for the most part, the whole biological thing was still there, but it was slightly more nebulous. And there were some more demons, like the Cacodemon was there, the Archvile, a couple mm-hmm. other kinds, but they were cut out for, for budgetary reasons. And his version script... was not a zombie movie. Um, right. Yeah, it, it wasn't, and it still kind of was, so it's a little back and forth. He semi-disowned the movie before release, though. He ended up releasing <laughs> this whole... Because he was misquoted at one point. Um, he, essentially, a quote was attributed to him that never actually existed. He never said it. The quote was never said. It was an event. He it was said at apparently an event he was not at. So he ended up writing this whole letter about how he's like been the, you know, the biggest person trying to uh, fight for the Doom aesthetic as far as making the movie and stuff. And he, you know, a lot of stuff falls on him because it's his original pitch still, but also inferring that. You know, the movie's really gone away from what I originally wrote, and I know what it's like to have something you like bastardized by other people. So it was a real, like, half-and-half half statement. And you can find it, like, still out there. It's usually, like, reposted on forums and stuff from, like, 2004. So they went a full Zach Penn. Yeah, so, like, whether or not, like, Callahan's original pitch did not include Hell, or if that was just the producers don't want Hell, so I'm just not going to write Hell, but... The team aspect was there because obviously this is him doing the expendables. Like this is the aesthetic he wanted to go for. The script the that he would write really after Doom would eventually be made into the expendables. <laughs> I was a little surprised. Uh, so my impression of Doom 3, again, as a person who never played it, was that it wasn't well received. I thought it was... You know, something that fans didn't care for. But it, researching this, turns out the game was pretty popular. It sold over 3.5 million copies when it first came out. And it had a oh, bunch yeah. of expansions. Uh, it was a monetary and critical success. Fans were very mixed and soft on it. Uh, reading, it. Uh, reading letters pages in video game magazines around that time, were that was very interesting. Yeah, that that was one of the early uh, the earliest examples I can see of fan backlash about around critics for liking the wrong things. Is there was there was a lot of uh, accusations of shill shillery at that time. <laughs> I just remember. So this was what this came out uh, two thousand four, I think. Uh, so I would have been fourteen by the time the the game came out, and. I'm still a giant wuss when it comes to horror video games. So as a child, when Doom 3 came out, I remember a friend had it, and he showed me like one of the opening levels, and I'm like, nope, I do not want to play this. 
<laughs> Doom everything 3 was, was fucking terrifying. Yeah, everything was very dark, and then suddenly a demon would pop out and be like, I'm not even playing this, and I'm very scared. I, I, I love horror movies, but I can't handle actually being in the driver's seat of one, apparently. It makes me sad the legacy of Doom 3 nowadays seems to be... It's that weird offshoot of the series that uh, they had to recover from with Doom 2016 and Eternal, but not enough people really acknowledge that without Doom 3, like we wouldn't have modern horror games as we know them. Like we would, we wouldn't have anything like Soma or Dead Space. Uh, it had to be yeah, one Dead of the Space, bigger first-person survival horror things, right? I. I mean, uh-huh. I'm less familiar with my game history, so I can't yeah, pick one out I mean, of my that head, was, but... like, the first big one. Like, uh, I mean, God, we wouldn't have gotten Bio- Bioshock and Dead Space yeah. are literally just, like, the aesthetics of Doom 3 retranslated. Right down to, like, the uh, playing the recordings in lieu of a, a big overarching story. Like, that, that was stuff that we'd gotten from uh, spooky shooters in the past, but Doom 3 was the one that, like, made it a mainstream uh, storytelling thing. The environmental that, that, that storytelling. Revolutionary at the time. Yeah, environmental storytelling, uh, either from a first person or even a third person perspective, and kind of like that survival horror. That's not like Resident Evil didn't had that to a degree, but a much smaller degree. That was still mostly well, that... cutscene based. Silent Hill was mostly cutscene based. Well, those the... games were over the shoulder, right? Like they were third person. Yeah, pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. Well, fixed camera angles and those and those two, but as far as okay, emerging yeah, 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 of it, like Doom Three was the first like first person shooter survival horror game. Got yeah, one of my favorite mem- gaming memories ever was uh, going down those dark halls in Doom Three and listening to just hours and hours of terrified scientists chronicling this accursed experiment. <laughs> like yeah, you're reading like the manifest of a ship that's going down. Oh, it's Doom like, it's like reading Dracula or something. Game. Yes. I didn't really, I assumed Doom 3, like a survival horror game, would be, you know, eight hours long max. And that game is like, what, 14 hours or something? Oh, like, yeah. No, it's longer. Doom 3 is like, is on average at least a 20 hour game. You can beat it's it like in probably like 15. But yeah, it's like twenty to about twenty three hours. That's insane. And then, and that's not even counting the like the expansion pack and, and some of the other stuff, <laughs> like the lost levels. That is one major issue video game movies have it, during the adaptation process. It's you know, like if you're making a book, the big challenges are: oh, they wrote a five hundred page epic. How do I pare that down to ninety minutes? Or how do I get inside the character's head? Well, with a video game. Same deal. You're playing the experience for 15, 20 hours. Even a short video game is like three hours. You know, if something's under three hours, people complain about not being worth the experience. So trying to take something that's 20 hours long and turn it into a succinct movie that makes sense and still pleases the fans. I don't know how you go about that. I don't know how you distill the essence of a video game into something that short. So anytime they try to do lore in a video game movie, it crashes and burns. Like, video game lore is made specifically to be doled out in small chunks over a very long period of time. Well, going back to uh, Bioshock, you know, all the the audio diaries you get there, 
they're what 30 seconds long normally same deal and there's there's dozens of them all over the map that you have to kind of search for and find so yeah it's a very different way to get your exhibition even in doom eternal you get codex pages where you find one and you actually pause the game and you just read a couple pages that someone typed up and look at a picture quick it interrupts the flow of the game but you don't mind because you've been playing a giant all-out action game for an hour it's kind of nice to have that 30 second break there's no way you can make that work in a movie. It's going to be so clunky if you have to stop and have a character turn to someone and say, now let me tell you about the history of Mars and the Martians who live there. I like how the new Doom games get past that with just holograms. But it's still such a simple framework. Just, there's a, there's a research facility on Mars. They're doing archaeological, archaeological stuff. They unleash a portal to hell. There's demons. A soul mar- marine has to try to survive. Yeah, stop the demons. You can boil Doom down into a very simple con- concept. And what then everything me, else, like the background story, what's going on with hell, all that stuff is great window dressing to use whenever you want to. Although, look at this. We, we have on screen... A weird subplot they go into where the kid is so nervous about his work, he goes to the squad scumbag and asks for drugs. Very odd. Which it does, it returns, like they, you know, they realize the kid is on drugs, but he dies pretty shortly after that. They do have to go back and try and beef this up a little bit to fill in all the character beats and make stuff happen with the squad. So it's like they went a little too far with the simplification and then had to backtrack a little bit to say, how do we mess this up a little bit so it can be, honestly, too long? (laughs) And you can see, because the whole sinner soul aspect is here, and I think it was a little stronger in in Callahan's original script. Um, So you see with the stuff like the drug use and... Maybe even why there's, not why there's a team, but justifying why there's a team where you can see Good different guys, facets of you know, sin, of evil, and, and how that kind of reacts. Or right here we have a religious like this guy who marks himself for using the Lord's name in vain and all this kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, it's so, still insane. They have a religious fanatic character insert, and yet they want to stay away from the hell concept of Doom. It's strange. But there's all these weird references to hell and demons peppered throughout the script. Like, they, it's very baffling. It's like I they th- don't have the rights to hell, so they have to... This <laughs> is generic copyright-free hell. I think there is a bit of... I, I assume probably studio and producers didn't want to go with hell for whatever goddamn reason. Um... Or maybe Callahan never tried. Who the fuck knows? So they got to go for this figurative hell, which, and honestly, it's kind of a cool concept, especially if it does, it's still kind of playing the idea of a soul actually existing. But I think in some form, there was an attempt to leave just enough wiggle room, probably on Callahan's part, to, hey, if we get a sequel, maybe we could still do actual hell. Like, there's nothing here that says that doesn't exist. Yeah. But it's such a weird idea you wouldn't initially jump into that, because hell is the selling point for Doom. There's a lot of first-person shooters out there. Doom is the one that says, hey, what if we had demons, real demons, actual possession, like you're dealing 
one man against the forces of hell, and he's not out there with a crucifix, he's just shotgunning demons. It blows my mind that they would take what's honestly a very fun concept and go, no, 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 we don't, we don't want that. Well, that's oh, it's wreck in Terminator 2. Movies. By the way, before we get too far away from it, I just, I've always been obsessed with the character of the kid. <laughs> this member of an elite commando unit who's also like a 15-year-old who just got out of boot camp. Apparently yeah. their screening process is not rigorous at all. We just threw him in there. Just go enjoy, kid. Hey, is that much different than the military, honestly? <laughs> So, Mike, what's the, uh, what's, is there any lore behind the, like, nano-micro doors? Were those, those a thing in the game, or is that just something they made up for the movie? That's just something in the movie. Oh, I just, it's such a specific, weird sci-fi concept. Very yeah, odd, I know. Yeah. And I assumed it was part of Doom 3, like, oh, there's doors that prevent bullets from, or, like, bullets can go through, but monsters can't, or something along those lines. Uh, it, it's a script shortcut. It is a cool sci-fi idea, though. It is, yeah. Some of the made up, some of the made up sci-fi things are really cool in this. Like, I don't even, as a Doom concept, I dislike the whole virus thing. As a sci-fi concept, I like it though. Oh yeah, it works fine as a generic sci-fi movie. My problem is this brand is Doom. Like in the old days when they said, "Oh, it's blank in name only." This is a very Doom in name only kind of move. Yeah, if this was I named lo- something else, I'd probably like it a lot more. Oh, like the uh, like for. Uh, Anderson's first Resident Evil. Mike, yeah. I believe the name you know is uh, Ghost of Mars. <laughs> I, this has always been Ghost of Mars 2 to me. Essentially, really yeah. that movie. This oh, movie no. could use an iced tea. Or an ice cube, rather. There, uh, you better get it right. Vanilla ice. I will say, that's. I mean, that's one of Carpenter's less respected movies. But he gets certain parts of it right. I would say Doom does not. Uh, a big one would be the setting. Now, I understand this is trying to ape what happens in Doom 3, but the entire idea of, oh, we're going to Mars, that's an exciting setting. For a sci-fi movie, you're on a brand new isolated space with no other real people around. Think of it like the end of Total Recall. You go out in outer space, your eyes will explode out of your head. It's terrible. Everything's red and barren. It's so isolate. Uh, it's It's... Mars is an exciting, perfect horror concept, and yet this entire movie is basically shot in dark, grimy hallways. It's oh, they're, again, they're just in the lab from Resident Evil. Yeah, it is you far don't too really dark. get that full Mars experience. You have a moment or two where, like, Carl Urban will pose in front of some blinds and see outside, and that's the extent of Mars. Whereas Ghosts of Mars, Carpenter decided, hey, I want to make a Western, but a sci-fi Western. What's the natural extension of the Old West? Well, you would be leaving the planet, and you would go to Mars, which is the big, sandy, Old West of space. So he uses that to really enforce the concept he's going with of, you know, space cowboys and Indians. This movie isn't trying to be a Western. It doesn't really use its Mars concept at all. And even the isolation doesn't make a lot of sense, because there's a teleporter that can get them back to America very easily. That's a very odd plot point, too. I love how there's a, a teleporter because they couldn't afford spaceships. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the teleportation, makes everything simpler. the teleportation kind of makes sense. That's like a big draw of doom in my mind of just, you know, technological advances like 
teleportation and ardent energy and all that kind of fun stuff. Well, it's funny in Doom Three, like, or just in Doom in general, uh, at least in the original series, not counting twenty sixteen, they open up the portal because they're trying to, uh, they're doing teleportation experiments, trying to invent tele teleportation. They accidentally, it's essentially fucking Event Horizon. Yeah. That's the idea. <laughs> in any movie, don't go through teleports. You're just going to go through hell for a minute and then back onto Earth, and it never works out great. Stephen King did a short story about it. You don't want it. Also, this uh, weird, like, I... brimstone blood thing always freaks me out. <laughs> Chunky blood. We so are in a it. weird phase in 2005 between practical effects transitioning into CGI effects. So it is nice the amount of times in this movie where they just go... No, we'll do a practical effect maybe with a couple of CGI bits because that's expensive and difficult. So Doug Jones just ran by. <laughs> I like how we are on, in roughly, what, 40 minutes into the movie, and now we're getting action. Yeah. It's... In a doom. <laughs> well, in, in the intro ways... of the movie, it takes, it takes like five or ten minutes before they use the teleporter to get onto the base, and then it takes another half hour before they even get a hint of an alien. Well, they it's overshot such a weird pace. They overshot it being over action packed in a dumb video game movie way, but they overshot. Like it just, where much... it's like it's Doom though. You you want it to get to the action sooner. I appreciate their attempt, but it just eh, too too well, too much. Them chasing the Doom Three uh, aesthetic of just dark corridor walking and like focusing more on its suspense, I'd enjoy that if any of that was done deliberately suspenseful. But no, none of those situations that we've been watching for the past forty minutes have really gone on long enough to have suspense, and it all leads to nothing. So it's just like. Yeah, the entire first at the entire first half busy of this work. movie is just one long build up. Yeah, busy at work. Yeah, you got to apply the deep blue sea methodology. You have like one scene of someone almost being eaten by a shark, just to let you know they're a threat. You got the ticking time bomb where you know, okay, all these people are going to get eaten by sharks, and they sink the building in deep blue sea pretty quick. I don't know how long it takes for them to knock the main research center into the ocean. But they don't waste a lot of time in that movie, I don't think. This one takes much longer for them to gear up, and then they do this very frustrating move where they realize something's wrong and they decide to split up. It's a Scooby-Doo plot to get everyone into little action set pieces, but it feels so weird that we have these professional Marines that are supposed to be the best of the best, and they all seem like idiots. Just, it just flash back a scene where the one guy falls over with a chain gun because he saw, like, a rat in the air ducts. Monkeys. Oh, I'm sorry, monkeys, yeah. Monkeys. Yeah, it's strange. We're, we're not really getting the best of the best, but they're portrayed that way. It doesn't work as well as it does in something like Aliens, where we actually like those characters, even if they do end up getting their asses kicked. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is either, because in the, in the film Aliens... I don't know what gives us the sense that these guys actually know their job or can do it well, but you get the sense they're pretty good at normal deals, but as soon as the aliens show up, it's so foreign to them, so alien, they just get overwhelmed. 
I really couldn't pinpoint what gives you that impression, but that's always how I felt about that film. This one, we do not get the sense any of these people actually would be good in any sort of fight. Well, they're just very basic archetypes. Not that you know, the characters in Aliens weren't just, you know, cardboard <laughs> cutouts over, technically, but they, had a, but they had a lot still. Like, they're just so over-the-top energetic that they just endeared you. There's a lot of charisma. You know, look at Break here. Break is the one you, like, latch onto because he's just putting in a hell of a performance. Like, true. He's just he eating scenery and movie. doing so much. He's putting in what you want. But he's the character you hate as well. In a slasher film, he's the guy who's saved for the last victim because you want him to get the most comeuppance. Also, we're in a sewer. Yeah. Not that Doom doesn't Doom's have lots sewer. of sewers for some fucking weird-ass reason, but... <laughs> <laughs> on Mars, in a, I don't understand why the studio just in this in in Universal's case on both in both accounts why they just you know give the you it's Doom like it's a good it's a big property give it some fucking money like like <laughs> and they a long do, time coming too this, this wasn't they, that cheap of a film though I no, mean but sixty five million bucks let's say in you don't in like two thousands money. Yeah, that's the thing that fucking frustrates me. This was not a cheap movie, and yet it feels like they had to cut a lot of corners. Even when they talk about the monsters in the film, they had to limit it to basically like three or four demon types. Yeah, they had to cut out all the others. that they couldn't do. Which is like, what? Really? You couldn't make like one extra suit? Yeah, and I got it. They couldn't. That's expensive to have like a performer and a molded suit and all that. It is expensive. But and they're think chasing of, like, the... every time Guillermo del Toro makes a movie, Hellboy 1 and 2 were both not super, super expensive movies, under 100 mil. And he fucking crams in like 100 monsters. I don't know where he gets the money for it, but del Toro would find you a way to have 10 demons in this film. Uh, it's I, We should really go into this. Like the, This is a movie that was in development hell since pretty much Doom 2. It, and the only reason it wasn't eventually like made in 1999 with Arnold Schwarzenegger was Columbine. Yeah. Yeah. They gave the studios cold feet. Could you imagine the fucking Berenstein Bears universe where a Doom movie starring Peak Arnold was released? I like the idea of... Just the the project Schwarzenegger should have done, but couldn't for whatever reason. The alternate universe where those exist. Uh, like, I Am Legend with Arnold Schwarzenegger. The weirdo giant action movie where he's Dr. Octopus. There's, there's, I mean, he's a big star, so yeah, he's going to be rumored for a lot of roles or have to turn roles down. But just imagine how different cinema would be if Arnold Schwarzenegger made just a couple different choices. Oh, oh, I'm convinced Mr. Freeze comes from that universe. I'm sorry, we just missed one of my favorite shots in the movie. <laughs> so this alien's in the dark. The guy kind of looks over, <laughs> and then he sees all the eyes open up in the darkness. And it's it's kind of a Looney Tunes moment. But I, I love that visual, that creepy Jalo kind of thing of just the white of the eyes in the dark and a lot of them, like a hive of eyes. That's a genuinely creepy Great visual. My favorite moment of the film, I'd probably say. And it's just silly enough to be Doom. 
Yeah, like right here, that Carl Urban punching a demon in the face. <laughs> this, 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 this sequence is what you want from a Doom movie. Yeah, there's a guy in a monster suit and a bunch of Marines that have to shoot the monster. That's cool. That's what I want. That's perfect. Then we get into the zombie stuff. And I know Doom has always had zombies, but this is almost like a traditional Romero-type deal. You, you get bit by the zombie, you become a zombie. And my interpretation of Doom was more that when a person is killed by the forces of hell, their, their body is more or less possessed by demons or their soul is evacuated and the forces of hell take it over. Well, that'll, I mean, sure, technicality. But it seems different enough. This does not get that kind of special treatment. It's the common, oh, he's infected now, he's going to transform. Which is a bummer. There, there's so many opportunities the film has to do unique twists on things that are very overdone now, and it doesn't take them. Maybe this was more fresh in 2005? It wasn't. Before, no. <laughs> I, I, I was giving it the benefit. It was yeah. not. But it's still a shame to me. I think that idea of just imagine it's not normal zombies. You're dealing with evil dead characters mixed in with imps and hell knights. That's more fun to me. I do really like The Rock as a bad guy. Miss the oh, days yeah. when I that could happen. take more roles like that. And we get Monster Rock briefly. Like, very briefly, but still. If only became half a tank, like in the game. Oh, God, that'd be amazing. Chainsaw for a hand. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is Mecha Hitler. <laughs> I'm curious when he's going to get to that point in his career, where he's no longer just going to take every hero role that's around. Never. I think his ego is way past that. Um, there, I mean, give it, give it a couple of decades, but he'll eventually have to hit an Arnold point where he's like, what if I made Maggie? I would love to see that. He pull, he, I, I do I do love drama rock whenever he's not doing action. Yeah, like I think it's a matter of time before The Rock gets tired of always being like the star in the mega blockbuster. Eventually he's going to branch out and take some different roles. I would have to assume. Musical. <laughs> we find out The Rock has the voice of an angel. <laughs> he I does, actually. It. Does he? Yeah. Huh. Look at this shit. <laughs> Look at this fucking demon shit. Oh. Be glad we don't have smell vision in this film. See, he is the demons. The... What? <laughs> I love the tone of this exchange, like with the music and everything. Like, okay, we're in a Doom movie right now. Perfect. <laughs> uh, so here's a question to you. I think this can would, would 100% work. I don't think there's any real question. But if you made a Doom movie, could you have Doom guy always helmet on, never talks? You know I think what? you could totally feel... make it work, but... I would have to hear how you think you could make it work because the closest we've maybe gotten to something like that is Dread, where Carl Urban wore the helmet the entire time and they still had a hell of a time connecting to mass audiences with that. Obviously, people really enjoy Dread. It works as a great action film. That was bad it's marketing. Not something... Yeah, but I even feel like any movie where... Maybe, okay, I'm thinking about this more. Maybe I'm wrong because The Mandalorian recently hit and Mandalorian he was in the group that complained about not being able to see the face of the main character for most of the episodes. V for uh, Vendetta. Everyone liked that. 
Nobody ever said anything yeah. that I'm wearing masks the entire time. I think this, I mean, the mask thing's never a problem. That's a problem for producers and not actually an audience. The no. silent thing would you be completely different. You will see some people complain about that stuff. The silent thing is a big deal. So, well, Honestly, some people complain about everything. Honestly, I actually think they could have pulled off the Sonic, the, the the silent thing, if they'd gotten Arnold. Could you imagine mute Arnold in a Doom movie? <laughs> Arnold's fairly like, He's got the charisma him. for it. If you were to take the helmet off Arnold, for sure. I could see him doing yeah. that just with, like, scowls and grunts. Arnold well, is, is a pretty good physical actor. You know, I, I would mean, not said... just like the lifting thing. Like his facial expressions are great for communicating the little nuances he feels. Most you know, I, I would have said before Doom twenty sixteen and Eternal that it would have been very hard to have a silent protagonist. But we we've actually gotten some silent protagonists, or at least almost silent. You know, fucking how many words does John Wick got would ever say? But He's always After... very curt. He'll respond, but he'll he'll give very short answers. You don't need a verbose hero, but, but I think they have to have some expressions. I even don't John think Wick so. In the first one, gets his moments where he's like, "Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back." He has that mini speech. I think you almost have to give them some some small amount of release for the audience to really, really connect and feel that emotional release during the climax. I, I don't think so. I think you could do it completely through body language and. If you had a, a Samuel Hayden-like character constantly doing the talking, and then you see through body language, you know, like the Slayer, you get an idea of what the Slayer's personality is in the games through the cutscenes where you actually see him doing stuff, or just whenever he's interacting with the environments in a non-player-controlled way. You can kind of see his personality come through his actions, and even when replying silently to like Hayden and whatnot. You, you get these little bits. If you were able to build, it would be hard to do, but I think it could totally be done and endear the character silently to a general audience that would actually make it incredibly unique to have a silent character like that. That you can build I... an entire personality around. That would be all, like, that would be like Doom's niche, which is our character doesn't <laughs> even talk. I agree. I think you, I could totally pull that off. Like, it's it, it might sound like I'm doing a bit here, but I'm dead serious. Could you imagine? Now I think you're doing a bit. Could you imagine Tom Hardy as Doom Guy with a mask that would like just show his eyes? He would pull it off. Jamie, yeah. you're asking Tom Hardy, king of the funny voices, to say no to any voice. But he gets to take the energy. Level level of evolution yet? You're yeah, you're asking he, a lot for the man. He uses the voice energy to go into his body performance. Exactly. <laughs> you saw that those bane eyes. And, and what I is silence other like than another verse? No dialogue. That's a thing you could do for sure. We've seen that before. Mads Mikkelsen in uh, Valhalla Rising. Ever seen all? Could of you imagine Mads Doom guy? Oh my god! Like he, he's so it's beautiful. been done. But I, I think the tough thing is, with movies, you have a $50 million investment. You've got to swing for the cheap seats so everyone understands what's going on. Or otherwise, you're making a micro-budget film where it's okay for you to take those risks. And with a big movie, I think you need I, the money where you'd have to kind of aim for something a little broader so everyone understands it. How would the character you know, talking like, add to that, though? Film. Like, when you have characters, you'd be doing the exposition and, and all that kind of heavy lifting. And I use heavy lifting loosely. It's a Doom movie. <laughs> <laughs> this 
this goes back to something we discussed earlier, though. Uh, we we mentioned the fact that you can make a Doom that's very distilled, very very limited to you have an action guide going through demons. There's a portal to hell that's been opened. Got to close it. But the thing that grabbed me playing Doom Eternal was the surprising amount of lore that was going on. Like, I hadn't even played the Doom 2016 reboot. So to get in there, and then all these codec pages are describing things like, this is Urdek, this is the Con Maker, this is essentially uh, Heaven, and this is Hell, and this is their weird energy deal they have going between them, where angels are dependent on the suffering of humans so they can live cushy lives. There's a lot of fun concepts going on in that deep lore that enrich the property. And you have to find a way to get those into the movie, I think, or else it's just another film. It's just another action movie. Hey, I definitely couldn't use all of the lore, but I think, no. for me, if I were to make a make a Doom movie... Okay, 26... hold up. Look at this. I think this is amazing. <laughs> just the demon stuck in a door. I don't understand, like, the tongue infection thing. I think that was one step too Weird far. But slug. I love the idea of the living demon frozen inside the door, and the payoff of the guy was like, told you I don't fucking do nano doors. It's such oh, a cool like visual. Like playing Tenable. <laughs> also, I forgot they did go to one dig site. Yeah. Thank God. This is about as doom one. adjacent as they get setting wise. Yeah, about all they could afford as far as Mars was this one fucking dig site. I like how that means that like the desert was too expensive. <laughs> well, um, as we've seen in the new Doom games, there's so many references you can make, and this movie does. What do we have? We have the Imps, the Hell Knights, or Dread Knights? I, I'm sorry, I get Hell Knights. Dread Knights didn't exist back then. So the Hell Knights, um, Pinkies, the you know the Marines, and uh, what the the BFG. Yeah, we those see are, a plasma those... gun, but it's never used. Yeah, which come on, guys, ah, that's what we want. It kind of feels like you're watching a Sci-Fi Channel Doom and knockoff movie. I mean, bigger budget. I mean, not as much that. as Annihilation will remind you. Of that, but <laughs> yeah. they don't have that going on. It's it's funny in that uh, Callahan letter I was talking about. He at one point does say, "You know, we were never gonna, we would never be able to do anything like Doom Three. Like essentially, we could never do something as good as Doom Three in that vein." Hey, look, it's Mars, which is both defeatist and Mars. true. Yeah, it did. I mean, there's and so much. Imagine, hyper aware there's of talk- the budget. Yeah, there's been talks for years for making a game out of. Uh, sorry, not a game, a movie out of a game like Metroid or The Legend of Zelda, and they've struggled so much to make those happen. What are the chances for anything else like Doom to really go through? I mean, when you think about Doom, it's not the plot necessarily. It's it's really the intense driving action of that series that everyone thinks of first. It's the experience of your first person. You are running and dashing through the forces of hell, full sprint. How do you communicate that into a film? It's hard. Budget wise. How do you make a 90 minute, like first person dash through the forces of hell? It's hard to get that emotion across to audiences because you have to build up characters. You have to get investment. You have to do all this kinetic, expensive set piece work. And that's not really what they're trying to do here, so you can't fault them for failing on that end. Everyone's mind's always in the wrong... What a great fucking decapitation. Everyone's mind is always in the wrong place when it comes to video game movies. 
in regard like they're either overthinking they're underthinking they're going sideways too much they're trying to change too much they're trying to capture the spirit like just you know like i i think of like that halo script um for what was supposed to be the halo movie and it was incredible like if it was made it would be one of the best sci-fi movies of all time and the studio could not fucking the sorry studios could not wrap their fucking minds <laughs> around it and it was perfect because it was just Halo. Like, just, there was no real difference story-wise, mythology-wise. They worked everything in perfectly. Added a little bit more bits bits and bobs, kind of taken from the different parts of, like, the book lore and stuff like that. Like, they didn't try to change the change the curve of of what the property was. They just kind of went with it and redirected it into another medium. Every time they try to make a video game movie, they just, all right, let's take down the curve. Like let's dismantle it and then rebuild it elsewhere. That's a little sad. When you think of these successful video game movies, really what they do is, Hey, here's a couple of pieces of iconography. People really like from this property. Let's just strip mine that. They, they act I, like they're adapting I enjoy a rampage. The movie. Yeah. But Rampage the movie isn't really the game in any way. Not that yeah. there's a lot you could do from Rampage the game to make it a movie. But it's I mean, still weird if you stop and think about it. Build. Or, God. I, I really actually enjoy Silent Hill the movie. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I have never played the game, so I can't tell you if that actually works with the property at all. Silent Hill, the first Silent Hill movie is a startlingly accurate recreation of the first Silent Hill game. They're just uh, a little more up upfront about a lot of stuff that's uh, just hinted at in the game. The, yeah. the, the game's plot is a lot more Japanese in its storytelling. Yeah, but the problem there is audience didn't really connect to it. I remember people hated Silent Hill when it first came out, and I don't believe it made much money. It eventually got a sequel, but boy, let's ooh, not talk about ooh. let's not talk about Silent Hill Revelations. <laughs> Really? What? Silent uh, Resident Evil? That franchise would be the most successful? Not individually, but it's taken as a whole. They've made and so that has nothing fun. to do with nothing. Pretty much nothing with Resident Evil. Right. Oh. The bare concept of zombies and an outbreak in Raccoon City and blah blah blah. I like how Resident Evil is like the other X-Men franchise. Yeah. Like they both started around that time and they both kind of weirdly mirror each other. Without, no matter what crazy-ass directions they take, they are all still one big thing. That's kind of fascinating. Resident Evil is just Mila Jovovich fan fiction. <laughs> it's a dude <laughs> writing fan fiction about his wife, and I think that's very charming. It is. It like, is hard to argue with, with, but, you know, doesn't mean we need to see it. <laughs> we need to, Look, you, or you need to cast. Hold on, hold on. I, or, I need that. a bitch I... for a second. Or you need to okay. cast the perfect Jill Valentine and then waste her. <laughs> anyway. Say, I'll go to bat for maybe the first Resident Evil for sure. And the yeah. second one so in parts. So would I. Oh, I love two. After don't that, get me wrong. I, I, don't, I don't care I about anything after two. <laughs> two is one of my... <laughs> Apocalypse is one of my favorite bad movies ever. It's beautiful. It was my... Ha I would watch that movie almost every goddamn day at one point. 
<laughs> uh, that's what a Anni- Mortal Kombat Annihilation was for me. <laughs> Just my happy place bad movie. I had the Mortal Kombat Annihilation poster <laughs> for about 10 years hanging over my bed as a kid. That was a cool fucking poster. I'm mad oh, it was wasted no. on that movie. Yeah, the dragon poking out from the, the, the stone statue. I had that poster. I didn't even like Annihilation that much. Even as a child, I'm like, oh, it's no Mortal Kombat 1. Still had the poster pinned on my ceiling above my bed so I could look up at it every night before I went to sleep. <laughs> the power of a good poster. You know, we were talking earlier about how to possibly... Uh, translate the frenetic energy of a Doom game. Sorry, I really want to interrupt you because we're seeing the BFG. Look at that thing. Uh, it's not going to do anything. Suspended yeah. with an anti-gravity field. That's a great way to present a sci-fi weapon. Just like in the games, it just hovers for no reason. Like, why not just have this hang on a wall? Because it looks cool. Shut up. It has its own room. That's it. This is a great way to introduce something that's iconic, which I think is lacking from a lot of movies because they're worried about it being unrealistic. I say go for it. If something's silly and stupid, but it highlights what a momentous occasion it is, please go for it. That's really what I want. And this, if the movie stops, you'd think, oh my god, I bet he walked into the next room and blew up half of hell. The movie does a great job presenting the BFG as the BFG. And it's all for naught. And it's all for naught. It is a shame how it's used after that. But man, what a lead up! Anyways, I apologize, Jamie. I had to interrupt you because that's <laughs> the video game reference the movie makes. That's the I understand. One it, that's the hill it decides to die on. <laughs> it's kind of fascinating. But uh, we're talking about like how you, like how you could possibly translate uh, the feeling of a game like Doom to a movie. I think it's already been done, and I can't believe I'm about to like give big props to these guys. But just get Neville Dean and Taylor to do a Doom movie. It kind of works with their aesthetic. Yeah. Like, the energy of a movie like Crank is what you would optimally want for Doom. Just minimum story, minimum characterization, just over-the-top action and some jokes. That makes a lot of sense, honestly. Especially now that they're sober. Yeah, especially. You just just kind of go for fun. Neville Dean and Taylor. And honestly, if you were to adapt Doom, just go with what 2016 goes. That 2016. Adapt 2016. I mean, you could actually adapt Doom 3 if you were going for more of a horror vibe, but go with 2016. Like, Hayden's there, Doom Slayer wakes up from a fucking sarcophagus. Like, it creates such a mystery <laughs> of what the draw. fuck's happening. It really is a great, like, in-the-moment draw. How about the uh, in-media res and I realized Joe Bob Briggs would yell at me? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, both uh, Eternal and 2016 have such fucking perfect openings. Yeah. And that's the thing I really appreciate. Like, the all of the environmental storytelling of Doom 3 that was such an integral part of that game is littered throughout the new Dooms, but in really stripped-down, like, in-your-face ways. That fits the tone of those games. All right. You can tell how little we have to say about this high action moment of the film. (laughs) We have Duke's battle where there's a computer fight against the the Hell Knight. Yeah. Like, this feels very out of place considering the poke around the corners and shoot 
horror sense we've been getting into yeah. Then we get the world's strongest computer cable that's just fucking bolted into this monitor. It's an idea... Okay, I like the idea they're going with, but I don't think it's illustrated properly, of it's so dark he can't see the monster unless he makes sparks. Yeah. It's like, too blue. Yeah, it just... It doesn't quite come across as movie correct. <laughs> it's... Thematically sound, sure. It's it, it works on paper, as all things in this movie do. Well, this movie is uh, this entire movie is a little too blue. It's as if they're shooting day for night indoors. Yeah. Holy shit! Also, the wire work with this guy's flipping around is so wacky compared to everything else. But man, isn't this, this great? Is Look at the monster. Look at the monster suit. So yeah. fucking cool. And it's wacky that it's a wacky you want. Yeah, this should just be the movie. I like, am where's... okay with this. If the whole film followed this tone, I would have no problem with it. But they didn't really go with this earlier. They're trying to do something a little bit no, more the grounded. Tone's and very this is all over high, the place. High end. Like if this movie were Alien versus Predator, we'd be having a good time right now. Very yeah. much so. Also, it's very disappointing that after that big fight, it ends with the guy just getting yanked to the ground. He just falls. I feel like you almost need Mortal Kombat level gore in a Doom property. No, like, yeah, you need a spine ripped out. You need a finishing move on these guys when they go down. I wanted to, one other thing though. In the making of featurette, they showed like the raw footage of the guy in the suit being held by the pipe and smashing the pipe in. And god damn, it's so impressive to see a man in a rubber suit smashing a plastic pipe. <laughs> and just to see the transformation between that and the actual finished product, it goes by so quick you don't really get to appreciate it. But to see the finished product where he's hidden in darkness and like KY jelly and there's sound effects over the plastic so it sounds like metal is being rent. Man, that is just overall what an amazing, practical, cool effect. I really miss this kind of shit. It's too brief. And then we get this I was gonna say shitty, but it's in a bathroom, so I feel like that's oh. too oh. low fruit even for me. No, it's not. This fake out scene. Like, you know, instinctually, they're they're not going to play it off as two big action scenes in a row like that. They have to give you more of a breather, and this one won't pan out like the previous scene. They just, you know, they have to spread the budget out. It wouldn't make any structural sense for them to do two in a row that way. So as a viewer, you know, this is a bummer when they keep cutting to the guy crawling through the bathroom, trying to get his phone he dropped, while taking a shit without his weapon for some godforsaken <laughs> reason. You don't want to actually blow off your dick. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, That's no, the greatest that. fear of every commando. Amazing no, mine's actually getting my ball sack in the zipper. But wow. same idea. Okay, question, Cody. We, I'm sorry, yes. we can't go past this. So do your balls usually hang out in front of your dick? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, let's say you're going commando and you zip your jeans up. You got to worry about hairs. Poking out, getting trapped in the zippers. How the fuck do you go commando wearing jeans? It's a bad idea, but it has. Yeah, it's a terrible idea, you fucking psychopath. It's... I'm sorry. No, you it's not a, no, you're right. No, you're absolutely right in this case. <laughs> it's not a thing I'm proud of. It's it's happened in my life. <laughs> That's oh, why I'm not allowed to church more... anymore. <laughs> nothing is more terrifying than bare flesh up against jean zipper. It feels like it's gonna skin you alive. I agree. Yeah. Uh, and then we get the stupid fake. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a real kill, but it's like a fake out kind of thing where he thinks he's fine and then he's not fine. And it's... At least the hand's cool. If memory serves, we get a couple kills like that, don't we? Where like a hand reaches up and grabs somebody and pulls them into the dark. I could afford a hand. 
Yeah. And we got the see- glove. Uh, it just seems like they're uh, battling the monster from Split Second. My God, it's... can we edit that together? Again, Satan's strictly, in deep oh. shit. God damn it, the BFG. See, why again, is it as a new Doom player, <laughs> I, I'm confused why the BFG shoots blue light. And misses. As a, as a new player, new fan of Doom, in my mind, the Doom color is bright green. It, the BFG oh, yeah, should fire it's... bright green. If it's blue, um, you're shooting. Um, gun. You know, if you're shooting blue out of a BFG, you're doing the version of the BFG that appears in Wolfenstein or Turok. Mike, can you explain to me? Because I was very curious about this. I was going through Doom lore and I got confused about all the connections to other games like Quake and all of this. What? How much of that is canon, and how does any of that work? Um. Okay. So. <laughs> Uh, God, that's five cool. hours later. <laughs> God, that's cool. Look at that thing twitching. That's a cool effect too. I love that. It's very haunted house. You know, if you go to like a a fucking spirit Halloween and they have the animatronics out, it's it's that idea of like just a creepy <laughs> thing in the background jittering. I love that. That's that's fun. And just how no one ha- has any idea how to even react to it is so perfect. Um. So Wolfenstein, Commander Keen, Quake, and Doom are all made by it. Yep. So in one way or another, they all uh, take place in essentially the same universe. Mostly Commander Keen. Is it an actual shared universe, or is this more like a fun Easter egg kind of thing? Both, maybe? Okay. How how shared? Like, it's, it's mostly fun, because Doom Guy is related to... B.J. Blazkowicz from Wolfenstein, and B- and Commander Keen is related to both of them. I know it's weird to think about. Is that like a like a family timeline thing? <laughs> yeah, P- I, yeah, it's like it's there is an official timeline of how it goes from one to the other um, to Small eventually segue. get. To how how have we not gotten a ca- uh uh? Uh, Wolfenstein movie. How have we not gotten that? Did we just we get talk movies about around that Wolfenstein that are Wolfenstein inspired. Here's Overlord. Like, that's fine, but I want that. Overlord is just a fucking Wolfenstein movie. It drives me goddamn crazy. Don't get us started on Frankenstein's army either. I mean, I do enjoy both. Which of is already first person. Yeah. Those oh, are yeah, fun they're movies. Perfect. Really and if you just put Wolfenstein in the title, they just be Wolfenstein movies. Even if you didn't have BJ in there. <laughs> uh, but going into how it could be more of a shared universe in the uh, because in Doom 2016 they're trying to solve an energy crisis on Mars and that's why they're harnessing Argent energy right yep. so it's possible then because Doom Guy and BJ are related that this is the alternate universe from Wolfenstein the New Order where Nazis won World War II um, and they were actually creating kind of an energy crisis um, if you remember from the new Wolfenstein well, series, now because... I don't want them to save the Earth. It's filled with Nazis. At some point, BJ and his family now, because now it's the daughters of BJ Blazkowicz who are are fighting the good fight against uh, Mecha Hitler and Death's Head and whatnot. Um, yeah, wasn't BJ are... reduced to a severed head at some point? I was thinking of the wrong property. You're thinking of Hitler. Oh. All right. Yeah, they saved Hitler's brain, Cody. Oh, well, bad. 
It was a bad brain, yeah. That's why they put in a fucking war machine mech. Anyway. A bad brain. It's possible long after the Nazis been defeated and all that, the infrastructure that was left over created a massive energy crisis on Earth. As you noticed in Doom Eternal, not not run by Nazis, very clearly. But it's possible maybe some Nazi German scientist stuff is still going around the UAC, which explains kind of the arcane war experiment stuff. And there is some, uh, in one of the Wolfenstein, the uh, Wolfenstein, I think, um, not the New Bloods, I forget which which one it was. Um, you actually see what would be kind of like version one zero 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 point one of the BFG. Mike, I want to hear more of this, but I also want to point out there's a weird way this movie slides into flashbacks. That's awkwardly and haphazardly. <laughs> Like, it's on a technical level, I think, wow, really impressive. Like, it transitions into them very good. But on another level, it almost becomes confusing because the film will just slide into something that happened, like, a year ago. So it's, I mean, for us, doing a commentary, it can almost become confusing as to, like, wait, what the fuck? Oh, right, this is a flashback. It doesn't announce itself like a traditional flashback. It'll just slide into darkness, and then the next scene happens. It's very kind of strange how this movie treats the flashback situation. Even more so, though, if we go all the way back to Pinky's introduction, where they just have that little segue where they show us how Pinky lost his legs. Yeah. It seems like it's happening right now. Yeah, it's it's a funny moment, but it's also like, whoa, this feels wrong. Like, something about this wasn't designed correctly. Well, everyone was just teleporting in, and then you immediately have that cutaway, so it feels like one of the soldiers just had their legs cut off while teleporting. Yeah. There is some weird shit happening under the hood of this film. So anyways, Mike, I apologize for interrupting uh, your educational lesson about Argent Energy, possible Nazis, (laughs) and the alternate dimension (laughs) that we may have splintered into. I mean, what else is there to say? Uh, I'm sure nothing. (laughs) (laughs) You said it all, Cody. You I was asked. very confused by that because I went, I, I tracked down a lot of YouTube videos in the last few days to try and figure out the timeline of the Doom games. Again, as a person who is only familiar with 1, 2, 3, and 64 through other people's write-ups, to try and figure out even, even Doom 2016, I should say, actually. It's only Doom Eternal that I am familiar with because I've played. Trying to figure out the fucking timeline from write-ups from people on those games and how they connect together is very difficult. Before the game came out, people were convinced there was going to be a whole explore, uh, exploration of time travel and alternate dimensions, which yes. still might be the case, but it's not nearly as present as earlier reviews led me to believe would be the case. There's still some iffy stuff, but it wasn't until Eternal that the timeline started to make sense because it made Doom 64 canon. Yeah, Doom 64 becoming canon was a fucking... Like, earth-shattering event in the Doom community. Which is, is it Doom 64 or Doom 2, where it ends with the Doom Slayer deciding to stay in hell to prevent the forces of hell from ever reaching Earth? Doom 64. 64, okay. I'm glad Doom 64 has been rediscovered because of Eternal, by the way. That was just, mwah. That was the Doom game of my childhood. (laughs) It is fucking great. Very excited because those games are all available on Nintendo Switch right now for not... Nothing. Much. They're um, all like five dollars. Yeah, they're like five bucks a piece. 
So and I'm, the port I'm actually... is golden. Like, it's great. It's the same uh, team that did the Torok ports, and mm. oh, it, it's great. And the new levels they added are really good. It's a good stuff. That tie it into Doom Eternal, which is delightful. I'm very excited to go back and experience these for the first time. But on the Switch, so I can actually do it handheld style, like as a giant Game Boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, Doom 64 is what really brought the, uh... It's weird saying this about Doom, but brought the horror aesthetic to Doom. Yeah, Doom 3 was a natural extension of Doom 64. Doom uh, 64 is a spooky fucking game. 64 is almost gothic in places. It's uh, very much an outlier. It's one of the reasons it was kind of the lost Doom game for a while. Oh, yeah. If you ever want to have fun, besides the fact the original version, you can barely fucking see it. It's so goddamn dark. But also just listen to the Doom 64 soundtrack. It's just I thought like Doom rusty chains. was a port. Like I thought it was no, everyone did. It's yeah, that was no very surprised to find out it was a brand new story. Unless you played it, you wouldn't know what it is. And, and no Doom one played 64 it because, is the like, actual oh, Doom Three. Yeah. And then Doom Three is kind of like just a spin-off Doom. So what I heard described today in a video I watched was there's like an alternate or parallel timeline with Doom Three. Like, it doesn't necessarily tie... Doom 3 and its spin-off uh, expansions don't necessarily tie into the main timeline of Doom 1, 2, 64. Yeah, Doom 3 is a reboot. Yeah, Doom okay. 3 is a reboot. It, I mean, unless it decides that, like, there's an alternate... Like, there's alternate realities due to Hell Portal's opening, and that in another reality, Doom 3 happened, and, and shit like that. Which it's is still, very possible. Yeah, I mean, it's likely they'll do that and tie it all in. But for the most part... Doom 3 is just an island, just a reboot game. Yeah. There's nothing in 2016 and Eternal to say that Doom 1, 2, and 64, like, the world encountered hell previously in this universe. If anything, they seem very prepared for demons and demonic possession and all that anyway in 2016 and, and Eternal. So, most likely... uh Earth has already dealt with Hell uh, invading it at some point in the past, so I don't really think there needs to be alternate timelines to kind of explain how Doom One, Two, and Sixty Four, and the whole Doom with the whole whole Doom Slayer thing, like that's like you have a built-in lineage <laughs> there. So it's like, yeah, you could you could pull anything out of your ass. You could say there's ten different uh, <laughs> Doom guys. I'm sorry, Jamie. I had to laugh because on the screen they had to put the subtitle back up to let you know the location again. Like, all right, guys, it's in case really you fucking confusing. We're jumping back to Nevada, and then from Nevada back to the UAC headquarters on Mars. There's a quarantine, a lockdown. We said we're not going to violate, but we did. We got to round up some scientists now. It's it's kind of funny how the end of this movie becomes a giant fetch quest because that's the most video game thing you could possibly do. <laughs> it really is. Pad out the time by, hey, you have to go find the blue key now to get into the blue door so you can get the red key to open the red door. The Doom movies are weirdly obsessed with winking at the key cards. Like, I don't know why they think that's insanely cheeky. No one even likes key cards in the games. We, we all understand they're just there to pad out the runtime. They're a video game function. It's like, I don't understand why it seems like it's important. I'm also really kind of surprised that we're 30 minutes away from the end of the movie, and we still have a fairly large crew of characters left. Spoilers! Because there's no action! 
spoilers yeah <laughs> spoilers most of these people are gonna die like it's it's really like one person lives so i don't i don't i don't know why so many people are left for the last 30 minutes okay i do like the uh, george romero shot here film. it really is stolen directly out of something like land of the dead oh yeah but it's fucking beautiful i actually kind of appreciate how many characters are left just because usually it's thinned out more it's just well, that's frustrating from a time it's... standpoint because, yeah. like, we're in the third act and we've seen like three people die. Oh, nothing's happened in a new movie. Nothing the structure happened. of this film is very lumpy. That's my the... problem. Like, it doesn't work like a traditional film like this you would expect. It there's a structure. Feels... Uh, this this yeah, movie needs this movie needs to have its midsection removed, like its Cotton Hill shins. I yes. just just so the first act and the third act together and you might have something well again it feels weird because it's this long and yet sarge's character arc is still not there he goes from being fine to an asshole like you somehow skipped 15 minutes of movie cody those orders were received and understood it was always going to end like this <laughs> and you I mean, maybe thinking that like oh well why don't you just watch the theatrical cut which is like 15 minutes shorter like no, this is a better version. Yeah, not just because of the gore, just and the first and the extended first person sequence, but no, just even the bits and bobs of you know little character stuff and little action bits are just better. So one thing I do appreciate about the games and that the movie tried to do was add a moral layer to the proceedings. In the games, it's the idea that hey, Earth really needs energy. If we don't have energy, a lot of people will end up dying because the world's not going to function. So if we have to get the energy from hell, well, it sucks, but you got to do it. In Doom Eternal, it becomes, hey, the angels really need energy, and they're willing to let Earth die, so, you know, the con makers don't die. It's us versus you. There's a moral line there, and you have to decide where you would stand on it. If it's your people versus their people, who are you going to pick? Oh, In Eternal film, gets super deep, like sci-fi environmentalism out of fucking nowhere. It does! Yeah! Surprisingly so, for a game that I thought was gonna be like, hey, there's monkey bars all over this course, please jump around while super shotgunning demons. And shit about religion, and like its place, and it's it's Doom. I it's wasn't very expecting anything I got out of Doom Eternal. I, I mostly love Doom Eternal. I have some complaints that everyone else has, but overall, I was flabbergasted at what I'd received. Uh, but in this movie... Flabbergasted flabbergasted in this movie we do have this kind of moral conundrum at the end that separates the good people from the bad people where it's do we trust these people truly aren't infected and can't become infected or do we just want to eradicate all of them for safety's sake and yeah, they in this of... case the rock decides no we got to kill them all because that's what we were told and that's what's safe Whereas the humanitarian you would go no we have to save them in the real world i might be the opposite of this i might be on the rock side because it's like fuck I'm living in a pandemic now, and I'm more like, maybe if we stayed home for another month so we didn't get everyone sick, that'd be good. I'm less cavalier with health in real life than I am with my movie <laughs> self. Yeah, I, that, honestly, it's the most interesting thing in the movie. Like, I do kind of like this space Waco situation you're presented <laughs> with in the third act, but it's just, like a lot of things in the movie, it's just so underwritten that it kind of comes True. up to nothing. 
Yeah, I mean, it comes out in very expected ways. Like, you know, with the kid arguing at The Rock, The Rock will prove himself to be the bad guy by killing the kid. Like, none of it's surprising or fresh. But the fact that they even set this up is honestly kind of nice, because most movies would say, we don't want to bother adding a moral element to this. That's extra work, and it's it's going to make the audience ask questions that we won't be able to answer. Well, it's when you're reminded that, oh yeah, talented people technically made this. <laughs> That's the frustrating thing. Everyone involved in this picture should have made a better picture. And and the combined efforts somehow are not better than the individual parts. Oh, Doom is a monument to the fact that sometimes a movie isn't anybody's fault. Sometimes a bad movie just kind of happens. Yeah. Sometimes you like just goof review. up. I do like this review from Roger Ebert where he said, uh, Doom is like some kid came over and is using your computer and won't let you play the game. <laughs> He's just anal retentively exploring. He won't actually do anything. I mean, that's how I like to play my video games, but I understand other people watching me play, that'd be the worst let's play. I just walk backwards. I really like just walking simulators. No one wants to see me play those. I'll no one you, wants Ethan to Carter. see me play like Dear Esther. Yeah. Screw you guys, I'm gone home. <laughs> well done. Well fun. Good night, everybody. I'm Good night. There, There's 27 minutes left in this show, but you, everyone at home, please turn off the podcast. Jamie has won. I was trying to get out of covering any more of this movie. Also, can we just take a moment to appreciate Pinky, who has no legs and is just in a wheelchair? <laughs> we get this again. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> See, that's awesome. Um, Pinky again, with no legs brandishing effect. a gun. <laughs> you can tell it's a practical effect because the guy in the monster suit isn't using one of his arms because he can't lift it properly. <laughs> <laughs> I say that jokingly, but I honestly still love the fact that there's a tangible person on set and just the CGI to increase the effect in wires. Like, it's so oh, yeah. better than just, like, 2005 CGI, Scorpion King CGI, <laughs> throwing a guy well, you in can feel, You can feel the weight of it as he's, like, throwing him around. There's still effort involved in the performer of just heaving his one functional arm around the set. Uh, yeah, you could never say that Doom is a fake movie. No, I mean, you can see parts where the CGI embellishes things and it looks bad and kind of ruins the practical effect. But you have to think, too, this is 2005. You have a whole new toy box in front of you of digital possibilities. You're going to explore that shit. You're going to put it in your movie and see what you can do. You're not going to say, no, 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 we're not going to use CGI. If I was making a movie in 2000 anything, I would be like, give me as much budget for CGI as possible. I want to do some crazy shit. I understand and that's how why you made the Matrix things. Revolutions. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's something I find weirdly beautiful about Doom. It's It's this weird snapshot of where eh cinema was in the two thousand, like the middle of the 2000s when they were at their most 2000s i have an extreme soft spot for that kind of cinema but i will never say it's good cinema no like the best the thing that's both horrible and fascinating about the 2000s is that was the great period of transition the awkward teenage years Uh like the media we enjoy now like it's hilarious to look back at movies music tv and see how many franchise graveyards there are how many false starts how many masters and commanders there are 
Yeah, but people really like Master Commander. Uh, to go back just a second to what we just saw, we had two deaths, I mean, deaths in quotation marks because The Rock lives, where characters were just grabbed by the feet and dragged out of frame. And we had two previous deaths where that was essentially what happened. The movie is completely built on a demon reaches in through an area where you don't expect, grabs a guy and then thrashes him. And it works maybe once, but this is only one step higher than an off-screen death in a slasher movie. It's very frustrating to me as a viewer to see that happen over and over and over. Again, I'm, I'm sure it's almost entirely done for budget's sake, because none of these are executed as jump scares. The Rocks is maybe a surprise because he gets in that line like, this shouldn't happen to me, but that's a fourth wall break that's more comedy than anything else. It's meta. I love uh, The Rock doing that in 2005, too, when it wasn't even that big of a deal. Oh, it shows how big The Rock was immediately. Oh, he was. I mean, just imagine, so many tickets for The Mummy Returns were sold on the fact that The Rock is in this movie. The Rock's role in The Mummy Returns, for people who haven't seen that in a while, was he has no dialogue as the Scorpion King for the opening two, three minutes of the movie, where he's just a real tough guy that beats people up. And then he appears at the end of the film as a really bad CGI effect with no lines. The I Rock is you know. in a grand total, I would say, of five, six minutes of The Mummy Returns, and he was a huge selling point for that film. The Rock was gigantic when he hit theaters, and I will... luckily he was able to prove his talents and become a real draw later, but his first few efforts? Ugh. Not... I will have you know, The Rock had lines at the beginning of The Mummy Returns. It was Aku Masente. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I retract my previous statement. Thank you for being the editor. That was back when they were trying a little too hard, I think, to give The Rock Arnold's career. Yeah. But they were thinking, well, oh, we'll, we'll do the Terminator and thing he's... and just have him be a physical presence and it'll be iconic. Yeah, he was the gimmick guy. Everyone knew he could do physical shit because he was great at wrestling. And then it turns out he actually could act and he had a lot of charisma. He really was a successor to Arnold, but you, you just had to ease into it. Thank God for the rundown. Pretty yeah, much right? the rundown is the movie that cracked the code. For sure. Because that's, that's the weird thing. He's good in the Scorpion King, I guess. <laughs> he's charming. He has a camel. He's got um, long hair. That? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> what's the, yeah, the whole Scorpion King franchise that spun off? For people not keeping track at home, there were, what, four Scorpion King movies? The Rock was only in, like, the first one. Each with a different kid, I think, too. Yeah. All oh, oh, shit. Sure. I just also, really fuck the Scorpion King, we're in the first-person shooter sequence. Yeah. Right. So parts of this are amazing, and parts of this feel like it's very stagey. You know, oh, it's like totally Monsters... like a fucking arcade game, but I don't yeah. care. Yeah, <laughs> Monsters it's, taking it's... too long to attack, but this it's such is... a joy to watch. Oh, it's a theme park ride, so I, it, it who is. cares? That's the only way to describe this. This is just uh, the closest you'll ever get to being in, like, the haunted mansion of movies. You know, you're you're on tracks. You're seeing exactly what's happening from the character's point of view. You have all these kind of jokey things happening, but it's a ride and experience. You won't get anything else. It's this long, uninterrupted cut. Oh, there are some interruptions, I guess. He does jump over monsters and look into mirrors and shit. Yeah, there's some hidden up. cuts. This is a really yeah, cool uh, script, very well. <laughs> script uh, factoid. The, the, uh, as soon as he wakes up, the script goes into, until the sequence is over, uh, first person's perspective, writing-wise. 
Ah, so you like insight, like what he's thinking and whatnot, and it, it's him describing everything that's happening in the first person sequence. That's awesome. It's actually I really will, cool. Yeah, and I will say, if you watch this movie the whole way through naturally without us yakking over it, it's not scary. Like there, there's no parts in this movie that really make you jump no. until you get to the first person, and then all of a sudden, like the character turns around and there's a zombie right next to him. That gets me. And out so, of nowhere, you're in a Doom movie. There's a lot of tension in these moments. There's, it's goofy. <laughs> I don't think any of us will deny that. But this stuff, it's I mean, so fun. On. He shoots <laughs> the axe into the guy's head and then pokes him over with the gun barrel. That's fantastic. That is so fun. The entire movie is worth watching for, I think everyone says this is 10 minutes. It's not that long. But the, the, the five minutes that we get here, eight minutes, whatever it is. Never long enough. Totally worth it. Plus, uh, never do the costumes come across more clear and perfect than yeah, in the Yeah, you segment. can actually see the monsters. Yeah, wow. you get Jones and you get Brian Steele. I love it. You can tell that's fucking Doug Jones the way he reaches for it. <laughs> yeah, you can. Oh, yeah. And now the this hell knight has a fucking chainsaw. <laughs> and he waves around. This is like if you've ever been in a haunted house. Fuck, I remember, okay, as a kid, there was a haunted golf cart ride we'd always go on to. And there was a Texas chainsaw area you drive past. They had chainsaws without the chains, and they would run up to you and then run them across the golf cart to scare you. And it's this. It's it's this moment that's happening, and it's so fun and exhilarating. I'm very happy there's a film that represents that memory. <laughs> oh? Oh, like Carl, the mental image of Carl Urban doom jumping around is fucking hysterical. <laughs> It is funny. It hurts him a little bit because it can't edit the pace. So, like, the monster has to spend so much time vamping when it realizes a mine hurts it a little. Yeah. But what can you do? It's first person uninterrupted. It it does make it funnier. Also, we don't appreciate the fact that Carl Urban is both Judge Dredd and Doom Guy. (laughs) The master of the silent guys who maybe have a little too much to say. And he's almost human. This throws me off, though, because we get that cut where he looks up the flashing lights and then he's fighting the pinky again. This is one of those moments where they needed to transition, and it, it felt very awkward in the way they did it. So the CGI monster is oddly decent. Yeah, not well, bad compared to the rest. Of, they must have used the CGI budget on this moment, because it holds up fairly well. I mean, the model is, lit- I think, literally just the model from the game. with <laughs> uh, different textures, so. They should have yeah. used, like, the claymation version from 64. <laughs> it honestly wouldn't surprise me if they this is just a super updated asset they borrowed. Just doesn't have legs. I don't understand why Pinky mutated into this. Yeah, I don't... That's how evil he was on the inside. There's not a lot of internal logic happening in these moments. And, I mean, everyone says that in horror films, but I don't think that's true. I think the best horror films are the ones where people understand the rules that are happening. Oh, yeah. Even if they are supernatural and they don't, on the surface, make perfect logical sense. The only people who say that about horror movies are people who don't like horror movies. Yeah. Although I will say, I remember, this stuck with me for a long time for some reason, Quentin Tarantino wasn't a fan of It Follows because he felt the mythology broke itself in the third act. So I'm not a fan of It Follows for completely separate reasons. Really? Oh, I assumed everyone loved It Follows. I quite I, like It Follows. I love yeah, the mythology. I wish it was directed by somebody else. Oof. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember really, really enjoying that movie. Part of it, though, is the scores from Disaster Piece, and, well, 
So it's one of the greatest horror scores ever. Oh, it's a great score. I listen to it all the time. Yeah. Uh, as long as we're talking video games, I'll tie this back in. Disaster Piece also provided the score for Hyper Light Drifter, which is one of those things I think would make an amazing TV show. It was rumored to be getting an animated series a while back. I don't know if that's still happening, but if it does, well, boy, I'll just be over the moon. That's a great game. If anyone's looking for something fun to play on the Switch, please check that out. You'll you'll fucking love it. Also, you'll die a thousand times. It's very difficult. Uh, all the energy just left the room because we've moved away from the first person scene. Yeah, pretty much. At least we get Rock slowly transforming into a monster. Yeah. Getting buffy face. <laughs> just imagine if the placement was slightly different because the first person scene is really exciting, but it happens with something like 25 minutes left in the movie. So we still have the real climax left of the film. Like there's another 10, 15 minutes of film here. Could you imagine that final battle if it was first person against the rock? Like, I don't know if that'd be great or horrible, but I, I feel like. No, just I want to kick the rock's ass. <laughs> putting a first-person scene in a different spot it just feels very clunky and gimmicky. I don't know if you could ever organically integrate a first-person action scene into a film like this, but imagine if it really was, like, the last scene. So you do the first-person battle between The Rock and Carl Urban, and then, you know, maybe we have the last few lines done in, in normal view. I don't know. Maybe maybe that wouldn't be graceful, but it seems like a cool, exciting way to transition into that. Well, I think uh, the Maniac remake proved you can transition from first person to third person in a movie pretty well, as long as you establish it, establish the transitions early on and find a graceful way to do it. Like, yeah, I, I think an ideal Doom movie would probably have a couple of first person sequences. It's a Doom movie. I think a perfect Doom movie would be something like Gravity, where you have very long sequences where the camera is flying all around the arena, but it doesn't cut. Hmm. To just give you that extended tension of, oh god, the action's still going, it's still going, the hero is still in danger, still in danger, still in danger, and you draw that as thin as you can before you finally cut and go, okay, this arena has been cleared, let's take a short breather, then move to the next one. I gotta say, the one thing I never expected to take away from uh, us doing this commentary is the thought that, oh yeah, I would like to see a Doom movie shot like 1917. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you though? I think for the action scenes it would actually be, be perfect. Like that would actually be a filmic translation of first person would be a continuous take. It'd be mm -hmm. incredibly difficult to pull off, but if you could, you'd do something that no one was really properly done before. Hey, if you were doing it as mostly green screen, you could probably cheat that a whole lot. Oh, yeah, there would be, like, a hundred fucking cuts, but <laughs> still, I think it presents a lot of difficulties you wouldn't have in a traditional shot-cut setup. But imagine the possibilities. What a just, boss just, fight okay. this is. This sneaky rock. Yeah. By the way, I like to think Rock out of is um, slowly transforming into modern rock, where he's just gigantic. <laughs> <laughs> My god, he's hobsing all over. <laughs> Pain and gain. He's just a club now. I missed him. Ah! 
uh, I can't help but laugh at this shit. <laughs> but anyways, Die just, just imagine. Sorry, I'm just gonna start yelling doom shit. Huge guts. Just, just imagine though. If the format of this movie was more like what we were discussing, you have moments like Gravity or 1917, where it's high octane single shots. You're doing wonders where the character has to beat up a bunch of demons and survive, and you do that for five minutes, and then you have five or ten minutes of downtime where the character has to go to another place or do something where you can feel the anticipation build back up to the next big scary scene. It's it's something Sam Raimi, I think, perfected with the Evil Dead movies where you have a big thing, and then you calm down for a minute, you regroup, and then a big thing! I don't know. Sam Raimi is on like my Mount Rushmore of horror directors because I think he was the master of pace. And something even that's not directly horror but more action oriented would greatly benefit from the same ideas. Yeah, same basic pacing. I I would also like to see you know if you were integrating um, like Doom guy having a a HUD in his helmet or something it within those sequences kind of flying the camera around and kind of cheating a cut to go inside and you see his like HUD of you at different yeah, points dude. during an action sequence. So you can get like, like close ups. Yeah. And then you kind of, then you fly out from his helmet and you, you get the long distance shots and go back into like a normal action sequence and you kind of go in and out. I think that would be such a original, uh, action language for, and particularly for, I think for doom, to adopt in a film would be kind of appropriate. I just realized this movie is doing 30 Days of Night before 30 Days of Night. Oh, that's all I could think when I was rewatching it. Yeah, like the main hero had to take a bad guy serum so he's able to fight... Bad uh, guy, guy serum. Yeah. And for like five minutes. Both of these right, he's totally are normal hilarious. because of the, the cop-out of, oh, well, it depends on what's in your heart. If you're a good guy, you'll be fine. If you're bad, you'll be real bad. It's... But technically, he's supposed to be like, you know, have he- he's supposed to essentially be Doom Guy now. He's supposed to have healing and uh, enhanced yeah. strength and shit like that. And actually, in the script, he his powers got a little bit more like uh, out there in some regards. But here, it's pretty straightforward. And the fact I that he's could... just fighting the Rock, who also has superpowers at this point, you can't really <laughs> tell that either of them have superpowers no. necessarily. I feel like they hired The Rock just because they wanted this big wrestling scene at the end. I do appreciate, though, that The Rock has just wrapped metal wires around his arm <laughs> to make him a better fighter. That's a fun touch. I just like that we're watching a Doom movie that ends in a fist fight. <laughs> no, yeah. We did get a chainsaw, I should say. We did get a chainsaw. We got one goddamn chainsaw. Rock does have fangs, and I like that at one point The big Rock had cheekbones. fangs. Yeah. Yeah, they put him through the makeup. Oh, and then we get this real obvious. He's got like elf ears now for some reason. <laughs> that was I like to think no those way. were his Vulcan ears from whenever he was on Enter- uh, on uh, Deep Space Nine. No, I'm sorry, Voyager. He was on Voyager. The Rock was in Voyager. Yeah, he did the rock bottom and stuff. He was like a uh, arena fighter. Oh, like a wrestling here. scene. Oh my god, that's. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Voyager. It was either Voyager or Deep Space Nine, but I think it was Voyager. Oh, that's insane. And he was a Vulcan. Like, he had Vulcan ears. He wants to be Black Adam that badly. I'm pretty sure he was a Vulcan, yeah. He's either a Vulcan or a Klingon, I think a Vulcan. Oh, I'm sorry, you know what? I'll go halfway. He was a Romulan. I'll just say that. (laughs) Then, 
there's a lot of weird spots where they give characters too much time. Like in this one, we have to see the rock land the ground. Uh, uh, we cut back to the slow grenade setup. We get a one-liner and a quip. It comes back. At least we get a quip. We got one one-liner. Yeah. Go to hell. And then he's still here. We get the slow motion. And it's one of those deals where it's like, God damn, guys. This is this is a long time to go for this kill. I feel like you're stretching the concept of movie time a little too far. Also, uh, you were correct, Mike. It was uh, Star Trek Voyager, but he was a Klingon. Uh, and this is the funniest goddamn thing I, I think I've ever seen. Oh, you've seen him in his tights with the uh, makeup? It with the weird forehead vagina they gave him. He looks like he's in a Hercules movie. All right, so we had the very obvious symbology there at the end. They they take the elevator out of hell into the fade out to white, like heaven. Not earned. Not earned in any way. Also, it's such a weird choice. Not a bad one, but a weird choice that they made the main character's brother and sister. In any other action film, this would be like a love interest thing. But the relationship problems, the family problems, never truly get explored. So it's such a weird, pointless ad. But yeah, it's al- also it's nice, funny. though, that there's not a bullshit love story tacked in here. That's true. It's good there's no kiss at the end. Mm. I think that's really the only reason they did that. Because you can't say it's because they didn't have time for a love story. Right. Well, those characters don't really interact in the movie at all. Like No, Carl there Urban was a ton. Is... The original script opened with, like, the the death of their parents, and, like, a, like it was much stronger in the original script. Um, yeah. And, those and two even, characters like, in the final film barely talk to each other, which is the hilarious thing. She spends more time with the other Marines that yeah. don't even survive. Also, also... Adding to the pedigree of this movie, it ends with a Nine Inch Nails song. This is what? an original, too, isn't it? An original. That's pretty good. The yeah. Nine Inch Nails. It's an original remix. Um, yeah, I'm mad this isn't ending an actual good Doom movie. Like, we get a fun first-person action sequence credits. That's really, it looks a lot like Doom 3, as I imagine it. Uh... Nine Inch Nails over top, with that cast and everything else going on. If you hadn't seen this movie and I described all the pieces to you, you would go, this is going to be the best puzzle. <laughs> I can't wait to see how it all clicks into place. Man, what a what a weird experience. And if you watch this, you understand why video game movies have had such a stigma against them for so long. I mean, what are the successful video games? We have Sonic. We have... Detective Pikachu. Detective Pikachu, although that didn't make as much money as we all thought it would. I thought that movie was going to fucking... It made good money, but not huge money. Considering it's the Pokemon brand, I was really surprised it didn't make more. Especially with Brian Reynolds. They should have gone with DeVito. Yep. Ah, man. We're on quarantine. Can someone, like, write him a nice tweet and just see if we can convince Danny DeVito to just overdub that for our own sakes? Like, we can listen to it that way at our own houses. Doom guy do that for charity? He might. No. What a dark ending. Right. <laughs> but other successful video games. I mean, Silent Hill did get a sequel, but I don't think it was ever a huge, huge moneymaker. Resident Evils have made money, but again, those strayed so far away from the film or the, the, the games. Mortal Kombat 1, 
made money. I don't know how much offhand. It's pretty much just Rampage. Yeah, it's in terms of like Rampage box is the success and being visibly a video game movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say probably Rampage and Detective Pikachu as far as the one-two hit of financially successful and actually fairly critically successful. Rampage slightly less so, but still, most people actually did legitimately enjoy Rampage. Yeah, no, I had a good time with the Rampage. Again, not much to make you think this is a video game movie if you didn't know. Well, weirdly, Rampage is kind of the perfect property to adapt for that reason. It's giant animals fucking up a city. It's a movie. It was The Rock and his ape buddy fighting giant monsters. <laughs> Sells right. I had to look this up. I was very curious. Uh, Detective Pikachu made $433 million off of a $150 million budget. Yep. So, pretty good. Although, if you think about it, that's close to, like, Tron Legacy money, and we don't have a Tron Legacy 2, so... That's Disney's fault. Yeah. And to- and Tomorrowland. Also, I forgot, Stan Winston's the one who did the fucking Stan Winston Studios. Yeah, I should have mentioned that's that. That's why they look good. They look fantastic. Yeah, this where was that in your Doom facts, Cody? It was. I forgot to read yeah. it. I barely looked gonna, at my notes. No, I'm going to throw a very this entire off... fucking commentary. It's done. Yeah. You failed. Uh, man. This is surprising to me. I thought Sonic made more money than it did. It made $306 million worldwide. Sonic made a lot of money for a Sonic movie. Sonic, yeah. made, Sonic made a lot more money than anyone expected a Sonic movie to make. Considering that movie was supposed to be Cats, like, less than a year ago. Oh, this is sad. It's currently the second highest grossing film of 2020, because nothing was able to release in 2020. <laughs> yeah, irony. At this point, I'm just going to go watch Sonic. I still haven't I, seen it. I'm that, uh, I'm, I'm just that starved. Sonic is the perfect quarantine movie. That movie exists because fuck it. I mean, at this point, honestly, I don't even dislike Sonic or anything. Honestly, watching Sonic do some stuff, it's good enough for me. Do you think we're ever going to get a new Doom movie, considering we had this movie make no cash, uh, and the fans hated it, and the critics hated it? Doom Annihilation went straight to video, and I can only assume lost money? But I assume that I don't, went to video. No one knows why Universal made Doom Annihilation. The only thing I can think of is it was made to keep the film rights. It's very puzzling. I could say that, or maybe just to as just a test to drum up interest for a real Doom project down the road. But you I already kind of have that. Considered they made Annihilation because of Doom 2016. Yeah, like that was Doom, popular, so they made uh, a direct-to-video movie for like fifty bucks. Like so Annihilation has a very uh, uh, forward unto dawn feel to it. Not, not yeah. a, like forward unto dawn is a much better movie, but doesn't Annihilation feel like a tie-in movie? It does. It does. Part of me strange. wonders if Mike's right. It's just a way to keep the rights? Or maybe just to cash in and like, hey, there's a new Doom coming up soon. If we have this on streaming services, we'll get extra money? I don't know. Possibly. Uh, it's, it's confusing. I can't believe Universal but... still has the film rights. Considering yeah, Warner what... Brothers had a deal where like its original deal with Warner Brothers was if you have a year to start production, if you don't haven't start production, you lose the rights. And Warner Brothers didn't start production, so they lost the rights and went to Universal. I don't know how Universal still, after all, and it has no, had it had nothing to do with Annihilation and disowned it. So, 
Well, that's so, yeah, weird. The rights it, lasted with Universal for over 10 years before Annihilation started. I can't imagine pre-production on Annihilation was years. So that's like 15 years plus of just sitting around dead space. I don't know. Maybe it's a thing where like if they commission a script once a year or something, they can do, they can get away with that. Universal and the rights to the properties it hoards is like, that's a very strange situation. Universal hoards really? a lot of shit. Yeah. But Universal is like an, an IP company, first and foremost, at this point. But Universal does like to put out weird straight-to-video movies that it would be surprising. Um, remember when they did that Wolfman spinoff? Oh, uh, really? yeah. Like The Beast Among Us, shortly after The Wolfman made zero dollars? Not even shortly, like eight years later. Yeah, so Universal is just tough to predict. I don't understand what their business moves mean most times. Neither do they. I'm mm. very surprised they haven't given us like a Jaws 5 at this point, just as a surprise DVD feature or something. The second Spielberg dies, we're getting Jaws 5. I'm <laughs> sure of that. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, there's uh, a script Jaws probably reading. already written. I think as soon as a lot of the old old guards die, there's going to be all sorts of reboots. We're going to get a new Back to the Future or something as soon as like Zemeckis is gone. And hey, maybe we'll figure out where Doom Annihilation uh, came from whenever we dig into research and uh, do the commentary for that. There will be more! We're, uh, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by this video game arena we have to explore, so I, I would hope we come back and do more commentaries for some of the other video game properties, folks at home. Oh uh, yeah, we've listed some... Uh... Some juicy topics uh, in our potential uh, commentary pool. Surprise, it's just Super Mario Bros. over and over. That's all we do now. We just comment on Super Mario Bros. Mario oh, and his whores. Ah, look at those Goombas. Anyways, folks, thank you for joining us for <laughs> what feels like Eternal Doom. I want that to be but my ringtone from now on. Ah, look at those Goombas. <laughs> I keep getting kicked out of pizzerias. Apparently that's insensitive. Jesus. I, I'm, I'm insulted as an Italian. You should be. Call me a Goomba, Cody. I dare you. I think that might be an actual slur now that I think about it. I, I believe it, it is. Yeah. All right. I, didn't, I apologize. I'm just an idiot. I like Italians. I, I, like dudes. I don't have a way to dig myself out of this hole. Just people at home. Ziti. I'm a moron. Ziti's a good meal. <laughs> Let me list all the pastas I've tried in my life. I like rigatoni. Angel hair, spaghetti, <laughs> lasagna. Need I continue? I could. Sing this the pizza pie song, Cody. <laughs> no. <laughs> Folks at home, if you've enjoyed this podcast for some ungodly reason, you can find more of Box Office Pulp on our own website, boxofficepulp.com. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Facebook, and we are on, I think we're still on, I don't think we've been banned, from Twitter, uh, at Box Office Paul. Check us out. Thank you so much for listening. Jamie, Mike, last thoughts? Um, honestly, the Marauder just isn't that hard. He is, well, he's a mix. He, he has kicked my ass a lot of times, so I can't say he's not hard. Once Personal you know the thing. tricks, when you can switch between the super shotgun and, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to get into it. Jamie, what were you saying? <laughs> Personally, I'm against the use of guns in video games, and I deeply resent that uh, we're even covering Doom at all. Good. Bad timing on my part, I know, but uh, I feel what I feel. <laughs> Too late. One of us. One with the ship, one with the crew. <laughs> video games. Sex and violence.
I mean, that's what I'm here for. Although this movie had no sex. Didn't really have violence. No swearing, barely. There's some motherfuckers. Not enough motherfuckers. There's some motherfuckers. And the commentary, Cody. And the commentary, Cody, indeed. Thank you so much for joining us. Please get the hell out of here. Good night. That's a wrap. I see what you did there. Just hell. Doom. Yeah. Yeah. To the, yeah. To the line, yeah. You which did, is... Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't think I'd mention hell because Doom, the movie, has no hell. Doom, the movie, is hell. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. You know, in uh, his uh, famous science fiction novel, The Sirens of Titan, Kurt Vonnegut states that the sound of every church bell is secretly the sound of no hell. I really like the part in um, the Doom comic book um, (laughs) where he says that the demon has like really big guts. And he cannot lie. He's got to rip the tear. He's he's going to rip the Midnight train of pain. Chugga, 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 woo. And that's, uh, that's fun. I don't have I a like good that. middle ground between Vonnegut and the Doom comics. Uh, John Stalver and the zombie. Works. Be killed by demons. I, I Boy, I, I'm reaching here because I feel like we've got highbrow and we've got lowbrow. What's middle of the road brow? Literally anything like, by Matheson. <laughs> oh, cold. I, I, I love Matheson, but, you know, he, 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 he was not snobbish. My no. God, there's a monster on the wing of the podcast. Are we still going? I don't know. I <laughs> we are always going. The bit don't die. Now we're in quarantine. Every day is a bit. We use in a bunch of Doom sound effects at the end of this to cut us off. Sure, just Doom guy dying. Now that I think about it, we could make this show PG appropriate if we just added the Doom Marine dying sound effect over all of our cussing. Oh, don't make me do. I would. <laughs> oh, don't tempt <laughs> me to do that. That'd be so much work, but I would love it. <laughs> I like the idea of making a commentary for this bullshit movie special. Because <laughs> there's 13 year olds who you know can't watch an R-rated movie, but they do want to listen to people talk about the film they can't see. <laughs> this is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now, please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.